0: Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where if you thought the girls were petty and cruel, wait till you get a load of the guys. Book number 47 Troublemaker. Has Julie
1: Porter fallen for the wrong guy?
0: Hello, welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, Gladiators, and welcome to our guest, uh, Marissa Wasselik Stewart. I didn't ask you again, is that right? No, that's perfect. You say it so much better than anyone else. (laughs) Well, but in the last
1: time you were on, started uh, hyphenating my name to you know make my husband feel like. We're a family
0: um <laughs> <laughs> well, the last time you were on, I was the first time I had ever said your last name out loud ever, so I said it I put the emphasis in the wrong place, and so I had to i it was a, it was a real. Mind-blowing moment for me because I'm usually pretty good at that kind of thing. But you know, in this case,
1: every time it's always funny. Like whenever you read something and and then someone says the word out loud, and you're like, "I never knew that that was actually the word." It happens to me a lot because I don't have a lot of friends with a lot of good vocabulary and <laughs>
0: <laughs> well no you're so you're so right though readers i think like avid readers can be very prone to mispronouncing words because you you it, i think that we see words a lot and you, so it becomes a part of your vocabulary but if you heard it in your head wrong Mm-hmm. then it's wrong. Do you have any of those out of curiosity from that you remember from like when you were growing up that uh, you thought was I something else?
1: I wish I had one off the top of my head. Uh, it happens to my husband a lot because he's an avid reader and um, he'll say so, and he always reads things in context and he'll say something Um and I'll be like, actually, you mean that? I know, like, mansplain to him that he's got the wrong word.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to do that. <laughs> um, the <laughs> the well, the only one I can remember from growing up is the word voila. You know, like, which as a kid, I mean, it's a, it's a French word. How are you supposed to know? But I definitely always thought it was essentially like viola because it's it's a, only one letter off, but. Yeah, actually,
1: vo- yeah, now Vila? that you say it, it's those foreign words like hors d'oeuvres. I, for the longest time, when I was a kid, whores divorce.
0: Like. <laughs> whores divorce, yeah. those See, those words come up in these Sweet Valley books, too, because they're so obsessed with with French. Yeah. This book has a lot of uh, ballet terms. So unless you just know from taking ballet classes, which many young uh, kids in America, especially young girls, would but they talk about releves and arabesques and grand jetés, but it's not a ballet book. No. This book is about Julie Porter. So, well, Marissa, would you care to remind uh, the gladiators what you were here to talk about on your last episode? Well, last time I got to speak with you about these
1: wonderful books, we were uh, reading, I forget the number that we were reading, but it was about, uh, let me actually, wow. I do have it. Uh.
0: <laughs> it's got to be 30-something, right? Yeah. Because uh, it wasn't that long ago. I'm
1: flipping through my Kindle for the last uh, – but I've downloaded so much manga since then, so it's going to be a lot of <laughs> – <Ooh, ooh.
0: laughs> Awesome. Um, well, perhaps some listeners would be more interested in hearing about that. I think it was number 36. It last was 36. Chance. Does that sound
1: right? Last Chance with um, – where we uh, explored actually um, – The feelings of Joanna Porter, Julie's older sister, um, who had recently come back to high school after, you know, trying to make it out on her own and feeling not a part of the high school community because, you know, she was coming back to school and it seemed like nobody even wanted her there. And she was going through a lot of hurt. Um, But, you know, she
0: her mother had died.
1: Her mother mother had died. Yes. And their... uh, and then she did eventually find some solace in being with her musically inclined family. Uh, we do see Joanna in the first chapter of of this book, Troublemakers, as
0: she... Yes, this is like a little reminder. Remember Joanna Porter? She's still good <laughs> at computers. <laughs> She's still doing that women in STEM thing. Um,
1: so she... she, But this book focuses on her little sister, um, Julie, who is a musical prodigy and um, mm-hmm. and is actually helping Elizabeth uh, with her dreams of becoming apparently a recorder,
0: <laughs> a master of <laughs> Of the recorder. Sorry, I couldn't keep it. I couldn't keep my laugh in. I just, it's just so funny to me. I, I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot, just because the recorder is such a funny instrument, but they really class it up. Somehow, Elizabeth has gone from Jessica's plastic recorder that she had in the last book to having a wooden recorder, apparently, in this book. But I was thinking that the recorder, maybe they just thought it was a believable instrument that you could make a lot of progress on quickly more than something else. I'm not sure. But... But yeah, they've done a pretty good job, I think, of planting Julie in the last several books as a musical prodigy, a musical character. And I kind of think that the whole purpose of this recorder subplot, that which came up in the previous book, was actually just a plant to get Elizabeth and Julie closer. Actually, I have a perfect passage to read about this because... It tickled me a little bit um, because I felt like the book was being so transparent. Uh, Let's see. It's right on page nine, like right at the beginning of the book. Uh, We're describing Julie here. All her life, she had been labeled the shy, sensitive type. It wasn't that she didn't like other kids, she just didn't feel comfortable hanging out in big groups. There were always one or two close friends in her life, preferably ones who shared her love of music, such as Elizabeth Wakefield, her newest friend. Actually, Elizabeth and Julie had known each other for years. They had been very good friends back in Sweet Valley Middle School. But they had started hanging out with different crowds when they reached high school, and it was only in the last few weeks that they had grown close again. Julie was finally starting to feel she could really talk to Elizabeth about whatever was on her mind so that's a little bit of backstory that i feel like the book just made up <laughs> but yeah. even the actually it's like actually they were friends before I that's do. not the first time in this book that we're we're in we're in julie's head and the writer says actually never mind <laughs>
1: i do appreciate the nuggets that Ms. pascal puts in all of all of these books like because when she says actually they were friends in middle school that makes me want to find that a, the Julie Porter book in sweet Valley twins that lay like, where, where she might have come up in middle school. Uh, it makes me want to like flip back and every time, and there are times here where, um, you know, even later on in the book, uh, she starts talking about Bruce and how he's, how he's changed since his last girlfriend and that sort of thing. Um, and it made me want to go back and actually listen to the podcast where, uh, <laughs> where Bruce and Regina finally go out
0: oh yeah yeah we skipped over the part of the podcast where we talk about the cover but let's I think this is actually such a natural natural segue that we'll just have to remember to come back help me remember to come back to the cover because uh this is perfect so at the beginning of the book Julie and Elizabeth have been practicing the recorder duet together. They leave the practice room and they overhear like a noise in a locker and Bruce Winston Egbert and Ronnie Edwards who are are, like hanging out together and like laughing about something. And they realize that they have stuffed a kid in a locker and the locker opens and the kid is this guy Josh Bowen who's a good friend of Julie's who is a, he's not a little kid he's another junior he's as big as Bruce apparently and he is pledging the what is it phi delta epsilon uh yes uh they the, they refer
1: to them as phi epsilons throughout the book so i'm not i don't quite remember the, the if there's a delta name. in there not yeah. i might
0: be thinking of Uh, something else, but Phi Epsilon, the fraternity, because of course Sweet Valley High has a fraternity to go along with your sorority. right? (laughs) Uh, So the reason I put in all that backstory, and I will stop talking in a second, Marissa, and let you chime in, is because you mentioned how Bruce has been going through something, you know, he changed because of Regina, and that's something that definitely comes up a few times in the book, including... Um, and this moment where they're kind of it's right at the beginning of the book and Julie and Elizabeth are talking about why a nice guy like Josh Bowen might want to pledge this fraternity Elizabeth says that fraternity has really changed I mean it used to be that pledging was fun not mean really how do you know that Well, my old boyfriend Todd Wilkins was a member. Elizabeth laughed and quickly added, but believe me, he never went around torturing people. I think that must have started happening when Bruce became one of the ringleaders. He certainly wasn't very nice to Josh just now. Julie shrugged her shoulders. Well, I don't know. I feel sort of bad for Bruce. You know, because of Regina and all. Julie didn't really know Bruce, but she had seen him at school with Regina, and it was easy to tell that they had been in love and she knew he must have been devastated by Regina's sudden death, caused by a rare reaction to cocaine the one time she had tried it at a party. Julie looked at the ground. I know what it's like when someone you love dies, she added softly. Elizabeth nodded. He seemed so happy when he was going with her. It was as if his whole personality changed, she sighed. It's just so strange to see him acting like his old self again. We've got our Bruce back, the old the old Bruce well
1: see like I found myself questioning whether or not he was really putting on a show because he felt like he had to be that old Bruce you know actually I felt and I know that I was disappointed as we moved through the book that we do have that old Bruce back again but there was a point and I'm trying to find it now um Okay. So some can we skip over to, I'm on page 693. What chapter is this? Oh,
0: um, right. In the Kindle version. It's, there's many <laughs> there's more pages many more than, than could, in the paper version. Yeah, I get two paragraphs per yeah. page. Well, what you're getting at, I think, is that Josh, through the course of the book, this kid, Josh Bowen, who is Julie Porter's friend and neighbor, and he's he was mentioned in the previous book in passing, but he's pretty new. He too, I mean, new to the books. I don't, he's not new to the school or anything. Um, He goes through a lot of stuff in the book that kind of, it, it makes him question whether it's worth it. Like he really wants to be in this fraternity because his brother was in it, who's graduated now and thought it was really important and special. But he, there's a lot of stuff that the, that he's put through in the pledge process that makes him consider whether it's really worth it. And the book has to kind of do some work to get him to to stick with it, to justify him sticking with it. So I think it's John Pfeiffer at some point, yes, who talks to him. Did you find the part yes, that I you're did. For? Yes do do you mind if I,
1: I read this out loud here? Please, all right, Please do so. Uh, um, Josh has just been um again just embarrassed by bruce um i do believe he was getting ready for the big phi epsilon party and right uh, which is like
0: the centerpiece of this book this party everybody is talking about it and it happens like halfway through like it's yeah in fact at the very beginning of the book
1: elizabeth has to reschedule her uh practice times with julie porter because she's going to the party on Friday. And, and she forgot that she was going to the big party on Friday with her new boyfriend. So from the very beginning, everyone's looking forward to the Phi Epsilon party. And here we are in the middle of the book where um, Josh, Julie's friend, and, and now just a, one, of the, one of the Elizabeth's crew, um, is getting ready for this big Phi Epsilon party at Bruce's house. Bruce is making all of the pledges do random embarrassing things that Josh really feels are very demeaning. And he storms out of the of the party and uh, he stopped by John Pfeiffer, who is also a brother and, you know, hasn't been pushing people around. He just says, you know, it's it's just part of the pledge process and you'll get to do it. Don't even worry about it. So Josh runs out of uh "'runs out of the house, and John Pfeiffer calls out, "'Hey, Bowen, wait!' "'Josh pretended to ignore John, "'but John came right up and leaned into the window. "'Listen, Josh,' he said, "'don't let Bruce get to you. "'Sometimes he gets a little crazy, "'but he doesn't mean half the things he says.' "'He smiled. "'Just remember, we're not all like that.' "'I don't know, John,' Josh answered. "'What's it going to be like if I do join "'and Bruce and I have to hang out together?' I'll let you in on a little secret. Bruce would kill me if he knew I was telling you this. John took a deep breath. Now I know Bruce pretty well. He doesn't really talk much. I mean, talk about what's going on inside him. But he said something the other day I couldn't forget. He said he'd let himself get too soft, too vulnerable when he was going out with Regina. Somehow he thinks if he'd been tougher, he wouldn't be hurting so much. But that's... Ridiculous, I know. You've got to understand that he's in bad shape. And when he sees you, well, I think you remind him of the nice guy he became around Regina. I have a feeling he's trying to, you know, toughen you up or something. I guess by being hard on you, in a way, he's being hard on himself. Now, I read that, and I'm like, okay, all right, I'll give Bruce the benefit of the doubt he's hurting inside and he's projecting. So maybe we don't see, maybe this isn't the old Bruce that, uh, we knew before Regina. Maybe this is Bruce coping with his grief. Uh, so I actually took that journey with Josh and Julie
0: with like, you know,
1: <laughs> can <laughs> we great Bruce?
0: <laughs> when, when you, I heard you reading it this time. I mean, I just read this book this morning, but when I heard you reading John's uh, excuses this time, it had very big like hashtag not all Phi ups energy like (laughs) like no it'll it'll be fine and and there is I mean we could have a whole conversation about this and maybe we should but there it's it's amazing to like think about what people are going through and to you know it's good to humanize him but it's also like such a big excuse because I mean over the course of this book Bruce is the ringleader of all of these different hazing things and I mean, let's talk about what they are. They're, you know, there's the locker thing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's nothing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we quickly thereafter are at Casey's with, uh, with Julie, Josh, and Elizabeth are together. Yeah. Yeah. And they've all just, so Julie, Josh, and Elizabeth, are all finishing their ice cream. And suddenly Josh sees these guys coming in. And I think John Pfeiffer might even be one of those guys. I'm not sure. But a crew of guys comes in and they all order ice creams and like a ton of ice cream. And then they tell Josh that he has to eat all of it. He has to eat all of the ice cream that they ordered. And, And you know, Josh tries. (laughs) Yeah. He tries until he has to run away and, and barf. And that ends up being a really important plot moment of the book because (laughs) after he throws up, and Julie is, like, walking around in the parking lot or something with him, helping him sort of, like, turn less pale. They're talking about how terrible Bruce is and how unforgivable it is. And then Bruce comes out and he apologizes and he's all charming. And suddenly Julie, who is kind of like, oh, this Bruce guy, like, he he is a sensitive soul after all. She's had this inkling that he's not so bad after all. And that's when Bruce... like Elizabeth do you remember the order of things here Elizabeth sees that Julie and you know Elizabeth doesn't want Julie to to be interested in Bruce yeah so she sees that Julie and Bruce are kind of like or that Bruce is sort of flirting with Julie and tries to leave
1: yeah yeah um okay I remember at this point Elizabeth was like well, I mean, the entire time Elizabeth talks to Jessica about what an asshole Bruce is and how Julie shouldn't actually be giving him any sort of time of day, uh, and and Julie at this point can't wait for you know Elizabeth and Josh to leave so that she could have alone time with Bruce um, because like like she says like oh this is her big chance to make some
0: yeah leeway and she. And she gets it, you know. Elizabeth leaves, and Josh leaves, and Julie gets invited to the Phi Epsilon party by Bruce. Yeah, I, Elizabeth reluctantly leaves. I remember
1: her giving her eyes like, yeah. oh, "Are you sure?" But at yes. the same time, you know, everyone's treating Julie like she's like she doesn't know better. <laughs> Right. Like, just because she's willing to give him the time of
0: day, she must be just crazy. And Julie, that's such a good point. (laughs) It's important to note that because Julie's getting pissed about it. You know, she, she gradually gets more and more angry as people are warning her against Bruce. Like, don't you think I can judge character on my own? Don't you think I can trust myself? I'm not deluding myself about Bruce, even if we don't date... Anymore after this party, at least the party will be something to remember because she's not a very social person. Um, here's something that I thought was funny. This is Elizabeth and Julie talking about Bruce when Elizabeth first thinks that maybe Julie might be interested in Bruce. Um, Julie says, first of all, which I thought was cute, he's a hunk. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. Can we bring so back Elizabeth, hunk?
1: Can hunk be, yeah. can hunk be a sweet valley yeah. hunk can that be like a hashtag yeah, we, yeah maybe
0: maybe instead of like the part of the podcast where we talk about boys it can be like hunk talk Oh, i love that <laughs> but we'll still have to have the theme song so but <laughs> yeah. I, but i want but going on from he's a hunk this is this is the kind of elizabeth's mindset about bruce which i thought was well said and kind of funny Elizabeth wanted to laugh with Julie, but she felt a little tense about the whole situation. Along with Julie's shyness, there was something very naive about her. That was one of her most refreshing and lovable qualities. But it made Elizabeth a little afraid for Julie. Julie was the last person she wanted to see hurt, especially by Bruce Patman, who seemed to be reverting to his old playboy behavior. So many girls have thrown themselves at Bruce's feet, some because of his sexy, handsome look, some because of his family's prestige in Sweet Valley, still others because they wanted to be seen riding with him in his black Porsche. And Bruce seemed willing and able to accommodate all of them, one after the other. When he got tired of one, usually after a week or so of dating, he just moved on to the next. After Jessica had been dumped by him, she remarked that the rest of the girls ought to take numbers, like a bakery or a delicatessen. Bruce's favorite word seemed to be next. <laughs> I actually highlighted
1: <laughs> I highlighted that sentence Bruce's favorite word seemed to be next. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean I, I did says a start, lot. yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, Bruce like I felt like I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh I wanted it to be like, well, maybe he he's just like
0: I I was
1: thinking like Julie Porter, where it was like,
0: and all that stuff, strictly speaking, is true, you know, that Bruce has really gone through something. And maybe he is just overcompensating every all of that stuff that Jessica is talking about and that Elizabeth is thinking about that is all old Bruce stuff. Jessica and Bruce's relationship is from book three of this series you know we're on 47 now so even by sweet valley standards that was a long time ago (laughs) so he's been through a lot since then that was like six months ago in sweet valley timeline (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i was thinking about it like if each book lasted Well, there are different ways to think about it, but one one way that I think is kind of fun to think about the passage of time is the way that it would have seemed to readers of the books at the time, because these books came out once a month.
1: Mm.
0: So, the distance from that first book, or like the third book to this book, is like five years. Wow. Because this book was published in august of 88 and the series started in 83 wow well
1: i was thinking about the passage of time because um they keep saying that josh's um josh's uh, initiation time would be over soon and so i was kind of mentally taking note of that like okay he's got one more week of it and there's actually like a like a home stretch for him where he's like okay i just have to get through wednesday thursday friday and saturday um and so it made me think like how long has it been since he was stuffed in that locker and how long has he been pledging before that i I mean what does it take to get into the phi epsilons
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) how many well so a month of torture (laughs) uh, yeah it's sort of seems like it it's at least two weeks it seems like it must be the they cuz they do the ice cream thing
1: it seems like it goes it goes from the ice cream thing to the
0: party like where the they have party. to set up for the party sure for- the day before the party that's that's a big thing where all of the pledges are cleaning basically being asked to clean bruce's house bruce's parents are on vacation and the staff is away or something i don't know but all the pledges are are cleaning and All of the other frat brothers are just kind of hanging around, having a good time. Yeah, and there's a lot of really gross, uh, like toxic masculinity. I mean, this whole book is is a primer in toxic masculinity, but there's stuff about like at the same time that Bruce is making the pledges vacuum, he's also giving them a hard time about being good at vacuuming because they must really like that. Your mom does. Yeah, he even says like. At some point, there's a line about, like, you would make somebody a great wife. It's gross. It's so gross. <laughs> uh,
1: I am a wife so, and I don't
0: vacuum. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <the> damn straight. <laughs> down, down with the patriarchy. <laughs> Take that, Bruce uh, Patman. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, so... Josh is complaining about this a little bit to to Julie, and Julie makes this great point where – well, she, basically, this is actually – this comes out of something else. I'm going to start this whole thought over again. Okay. So Josh and Julie, after Bruce invites her to this party, have a moment where – you know, it's revealing about Josh's maybe feelings about Julie and feelings about the whole situation. But Julie also makes a really good point talking to Josh. So uh, real quick, I'm going to read this. So Julie's just told Josh that she was invited to the party by Bruce. She's going to be Bruce's date. And you said yes, just like that. Julie was disappointed by Josh's reaction. She had expected him to be happy. Well, yes. Did I do something wrong? I mean... I know he was a little mean and arrogant yesterday, but he went out of his way to apologize, and he was so sweet. Sweet? (laughs) Julie, I know it's none of my business, but, well, to tell you the truth, I don't think Bruce is worth the time of day from you. He's more than just arrogant. He has a really bad reputation, Julie. Well, he's your future fraternity brother, Josh. If he's so awful, why are you even bothering to pledge Phi Epsilon? You must see something worthwhile in all those guys if you're dying to be one of them. She's pointing out to Josh, you know, this guy that you are t- telling me is so terrible is like the king of the fraternity <laughs> that you are bending over backwards to pledge to. So, so it's on you. like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's almost as if she's saying if you dropped out of the pledge process, I would not go to the party with Bruce. <laughs> but she doesn't say that.
1: No, she doesn't say that until the very end actually yeah um where she but i don't think she even realizes it at that point i think uh uh i don't think either of them realize how important the other is to them until they start hurting each other i'm talking about josh and julie uh as far as like you know old friends relationships go you don't realize it's love until you don't have it anymore uh, yeah. to rely on it's a very um you know it's kind of like drive me crazy that awesome 90s movie oh with <laughs> with melissa joan hart
0: one <laughs> of my favorites
1: uh me too <laughs> Let's, let's talk about that. Let's table that. We can have a
0: whole nother side conversation. Well, I mean, I wasn't sure what we were going to talk about during extra drama. Like it was possibly, you know, toxic masculinity or like high school parties, but we can just talk about drive me crazy. That sounds like more fun.
1: (laughs) I know that movie Um,
0: inside and out. Amazing. Okay. Well, gladiators, stay tuned for next week when you're going to listen to Marissa and uh, two Marissas talk about driving me crazy. Uh, I think that in order to get into the big centerpiece kind of hazing prank thing of this, of the book, and it's like a center point of the story, we need to sort of touch on Jessica's B-plot. yes.
1: Uh, Yes, I, let's not forget, Jessica is a ballerina now. Yeah,
0: so (laughs) uh, I think, I think you might be right that maybe Sweet Valley Twins has started by now. Because I remember in those books, the girls did a lot of ballet. And there's a lot of references to like, when they were younger, they used to take ballet classes, but they haven't in a while. But the short version of the story is Jessica is auditioning for a play and they're casting outside of the usual drama club members because they need someone who knows how to dance, who knows ballet. And so Jessica is trying to become, like, to dust off four years of cobwebs and become the best ballerina possible. And she really wants to to kill this audition. And so that's, I'm fast forwarding through all of that to say that jessica and lila have this scene in some kind of ballet shop
1: well they had those in the in the 80s they did have those words like you like dance here's everything that you ever needed for dance i know because i was also an 80s ballerina
0: um. well, we know <laughs> leotards and leg warmers are really popular in the 80s
1: yes that's true you didn't have to be a dancer to sport those uh just needed to want to look like molly ringwald so um i do but i i, I don't remember there being those uh, any sort of like fancy dressing rooms but uh lila and jessica uh are actually lila's judging jessica's dancer looks because you know that has everything to do with
0: casting in a high school play yeah she needs to Uh, look her best yes and show off her body lila has the greatest line in here actually i didn't even mark this but since i found this this page she says you'll either walk away with that part or they'll lock you up for indecent exposure (laughs) 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 so i don't know what that has to what that says about mr jaworski the drama club teacher but I I don't think Mr. Jaworski is interested in uh, Jessica so (laughs) or or anyone like her.
1: Well, Um,
0: but here is where we meet uh, Danielle Alexander. Yes, exactly my point. You read my mind here from across from across the city. You have read my mind. (laughs) Danielle Alexander. So Danielle Alexander. She's a new character. We never heard of her before. She's a senior, so we probably won't hear much from her again, but uh, Jessica seems very threatened by her because she is tall and blonde and talented. She's amazing. Like, they can tell by the dance moves that she does in front of the mirror that she must practice every day and be, like, she's going to try out for the Los Angeles ballet. Um, she's amazing. And she's tall and blonde, as you said. this is important because there is a rumor going around, just in the periphery of of Hot Topics, that Bruce Patman has invited a tall blonde senior to be his date to the Phi Epsilon party. Well, gladiators, you may recall that Bruce Patman already has a date. It's uh, Julie Porter. Uh, But... So it's like, did he invite the, the question is, like, did he invite some senior to the party and she turned him down? So Julie was a backup or is it just a rumor? It's not even true. Or is there some nefarious double dealing going on?
1: How dare he to double like that
0: philanderer? Yeah. Well, nobody really knows what's up. But I mean, we spoiled it for you gladiators already by explaining Danielle Alexander. But the book is pretty clever in the way that it kind of plants her as a character, then says that there's this rumor that he invited some senior. And then we start to get the details. Not only the details that Danielle is tall and blonde, but also the book makes a point right off the top with Julie to, to have her say something about being short. So just, it's clear, it's very clear that the rumor does not line up with the mere fact that Bruce invited Julie to the dance, or not dance, but you can no, forgive the, me for saying dance. It's, it's Sweet Valley High. Uh, there's a lot of dances. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this party is essentially the dance of, of book number
1: 47. <laughs> um, yeah, and Julie is also notoriously, notoriously redheaded. Um, they, they say this a lot that she's one of the few redheads at Sweet Valley High. Yeah. Um,
0: and, and what's, I mean, the big deal, it's kind of hard to pinpoint, but maybe we all know someone like this, or maybe we are someone like this. The, the only, Julie is attractive enough, you know, and whatever. It's just that she is like a type that doesn't seem to be Bruce's type. She's quiet. She's reserved. Um, they describe Bruce as going for like flashier type, so that's part of why people are a little bit surprised that Bruce would ask Julie to the party in the first place, and it makes people automatically suspicious that they're, that he's up to something. Which of course, poor Julie hates. You know, that's kind of a it is kind of offensive. Yeah, but she even says to herself,
1: like at the at the end of chapter two, she says, "Be realistic, Julie." It's ridiculous to even think he'd consider going out with you. So, oh. like, so let's yeah. think about when when we when we talk about Bruce's type, how that affects all of people's own self esteem, and and at the same, I think the the healthiest outlook Julie had was, you know what, maybe he did invite somebody else first that's his type or whatever, but I'm going with him. And it's going to mm-hmm. be fun. And yeah, I, I was just like, more power to you, girl.
0: Like, this is your date. <laughs> yeah, she's not being dumb about it. Like, really. She's being pretty clear-headed. Like, I know this is kind of out there. So it's not like he's my boyfriend now. I'm just going to go have a good time and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, And I, it makes it all the more tragic. I think we can talk. If we can go there. That <laughs> Nothing
1: could have prepared her for what happened at the party. Right.
0: So, I guess we should say that nothing could have prepared her, but Except Josh and Elizabeth do try. <laughs> yeah. Josh and Elizabeth do try to prepare her by telling her about the rumor, but also very generously making it clear that it is just a rumor. They don't know for sure if he really did invite someone else or who that someone else might be. Uh, but Elizabeth starts to put the pieces together when she connects, I don't know, Daniel Alexander is tall and blonde but anyway well let me let me talk about that for a second
1: because i was actually surprised to hear that elizabeth is the head of the eyes and ears column at the oracle which seems more of like a jessica beat than an elizabeth beat if you ask me like elizabeth should be talking about like i don't know I would even, if she even had the sports beat, I would be more. Yeah,
0: I think it's, <laughs> I agree that it is, it is strange that that's what Elizabeth does. It's been a part of her character since the very, very beginning of the book, of the whole series, is that Elizabeth writes for Eyes and Ears. But of all the things, it does seem strange that that's her dedicated column.
1: Yeah, maybe she's more like her sister than she thought, or maybe <laughs> she got that beat because of her sister, but maybe that's a whole other. Whole other book that I haven't yet, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't yet explored to really understand the the uh, meaning behind, you know, the motivations behind Elizabeth's choices as a journalist. But um, beyond that, she gets a tip at the Oracle about what might happen at this party, which she just oh, that's right, blatantly ignores. Like she doesn't even. Um, she she yeah. she gets a tip and it says it has uh, Danielle's name on it and Bruce's name on it um, and a couple other Phi Epsilon guys. Uh, I think Josh's name is on it. Let me see if I can try and find that. But like that doesn't ring enough bells for her to actually read the whole tip and actually well, <laughs> prepare for what I might happen. It-
0: I can hear myself being such a shameless Elizabeth apologist right now, but what she tells herself is, this is after Julie has already basically scolded her and Josh for trying to warn her about the date, and so Elizabeth is like, Jessica told me it was none of my business, Julie has told me it's none of my business, Julie can make her own decisions, she's a big girl, I guess what'll be will be, because I still, it's still just a rumor, so... It's it's not it, Yeah, that's would, true. There well, is yeah, even like know. a a part
1: even before that, you know, the the second time they're warning Julie about Bruce Patman where uh Elizabeth and Josh decide to go over to her house and tell her face to face that there's yeah. a rumor that this Danielle person might actually be Bruce's date to the party. Um and uh and they make Julie cry. <laughs> Just by telling her, like, hey, we heard a rumor. So I-, I can see what you're saying here. I'll accept this apology for Elizabeth because, like, <laughs> <laughs> why would you want to make Julie cry again?
0: Well, it's definitely the wrong decision, but she makes it for, like, respectable reasons. That's as much as I can say about it. Okay. Is what she's trying to do is something that Elizabeth does so rarely and really always at the worst possible times. She is trying to keep her nose out of other people's business. Yeah. So, again, I will repeat myself. Elizabeth doesn't do a good job of that most of the time, but when she chooses not to meddle, usually it's at times that she should be meddling. So, Yeah. <laughs> really, like if Elizabeth could step outside of her own life and read these books, I feel like the lesson that she would take away is that she should always be meddling. Like she is the so- the problem solver, connective tissue of of so many of these stories well, accidentally half the time
1: most of the people that she meddles with are kind of thankful for it <laughs>
0: yeah exactly you know, exactly no one ever and when she chooses Elizabeth not to talk her meddling,
1: only Jessica she,
0: yeah. <laughs> she doesn't meddle enough in her own life weirdly enough <laughs> like she, when it comes to like Elizabeth stories and it's something about a romance or something about a friend or something about Jessica she's more <laughs> likely to keep her feelings to herself rather than to voice them which is i'm realizing as i say it out loud all the just one more reason that i relate to elizabeth um well let's talk about the party let's talk about the party this is getting too real i mean
1: just one last thing though like when elizabeth meddles with julie's perception of bruce i had to label her as the troublemaker in the book during those times Mm. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's a great question. A a question we should revisit at the end of this episode. Who is the troublemaker? (laughs) Um, But, so Phi Epsilon party. They get (laughs) get to the party and, and Julie has said that Bruce has said he can't pick her up because he needs to set things up. It's believable. So they get there and who should answer the door but Josh and he's wearing a long blonde wig. All of the pledges are dressed not they're not all dressed in feminine clothing they are all dressed in silly outfits uh some have fruit and, on their
1: head one is a monkey <laughs> or something <laughs>
0: something like that
1: yeah so it's only upsetting because josh has taken so much of the brunt of the of the tasing yeah.
0: and so one thing about this party is that they have moved the furniture aside so that there's a big open dance floor so i guess it is a dance in a way and that makes it so there's this like dark alcove where couples can like there's like a make-out corner basically
1: right right yeah 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 there's like nooks they call it an alcove
0: an alcove (laughs) a dark alcove yes (laughs) so there's a dark alcove and that's. Clocked And Julie goes up to Bruce and kind of flirts with him a little bit. And Bruce gives her a tour. And so I just wanted to read a little bit of that. This is what Bruce is serving Julie at the beginning of the party. Bruce led her through a short hallway and into a large room full of couples. Some were gathered around a pool table. Others were playing pinball. And still others were concentrating on video games on a 26-inch display terminal. Fantastic, Julie said. Yeah, Bruce said smugly, nobody ever gets bored around here. Julie didn't know what to say next. Uh, do you want to play some pinball? Bruce chuckled. No, I have other things in mind for tonight. He looked at Julie with a lopsided smile. But hey, the tour has just begun. I, I could
1: continue. I actually really like this scene where he's taking her around the house Uh. Can I read my favorite part of the scene? Mm-hmm. Please do. So, Julie held her breath as Bruce opened the door to his bedroom. There was a gorgeous mahogany four-poster bed. One wall was covered with photos of Bruce in tennis and track team gear. A glass in case against another wall held several trophies and plaques, and a huge glossy poster of a Porsche, just like Bruce's, covered the third wall. So, Bruce... Never forgot who his first love was himself,
0: (laughs) Bruce. Well, uh, also, I that paragraph after that paragraph, Bruce finally speaks, and what he says is, This is where I spend a lot of my time. (laughs) Which is one of those things that poor Julie doesn't quite know if he's being suggestive or not, because like any teenager, spends a lot of their time in their room. But and he he keeps her on her toes by talking about how the bed is an antique that his mom bought. So that's not very sexy. I mean, depending on what you're into, I guess. I, I mean, I guess you know. Sexy, but now that I'm in my mid thirties, antiques do really <laughs> get me going. <laughs> an antique four poster bed. Shut yes, up! Please. These
1: are so hard to find. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You let your mom pick out your furniture? That's so open minded of you. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That might be a red flag. I guess it depends on how much of the furniture is she chose. Uh, (laughs) um, But and I love how awkward Julie is throughout all this. Like she's really trying to, the book shows her trying to play it cool and struggling a little bit. But Bruce is really flirting. But he takes her back downstairs so she can, like, and she does kind of breathe easy because she's on her toes. She's prepared to, for something maybe a little bit more, like, untoward to happen. And she might not hate that, but it would be new for her. We learn very soon after this that Julie has never kissed a boy. Like, it's all new to her.
1: I will say that a reoccurring theme that I picked up in this book are the, um, how each character is really trying to be something other than what they've been labeled as in the past, which is why I thought Bruce Patman was actually a good guy. Um, because, like, you know, we've got Elizabeth, who's like, I'm going to be a musician. But no one ever really thought of her as a musician before. And and Josh is, I'm going to be a Phi Epsilon. But it's not in me to be as cruel as Bruce is, who's the pinnacle mm-hmm. uh, Phi Epsilon. And then we've got Julie. Oh, we've got Jessica, who's Jessica. a dancer now. <laughs> who decides yeah. that, you know,
0: I have never really been good at well, dancing, but I'm going to do it and now. And also... The whole arc of Jessica's story continues with that, though, because what she finds out is that what they really want is for someone to be able to act like a bad dancer like someone who can dance well enough to also make it like be able to control her body and be like a physical comedian because it's not a romantic lead it's a comedic lead and Jessica is like that's not what I wanted I wanted to be the glamorous you know show off but eventually she does decide that she'll go ahead and take the role and she becomes this you know she has this great star turn as a comedian in the uh in the school play yeah you can't take it with you Is that what it is? Is it? They never really say what it is. They no, they say what it is, but I, I can't remember. Uh, Well, if I were Jessica, I'd be
1: kind of butthurt at the friend who was like, "Hey, you should try out for this role because you know." They don't say much about that friend, though. I'm sure there'll be another book about you know her and and. The Mister Jankowski or whatever, uh, Mister Jaworski, yeah, Jaworski. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, I'm sure this is not the first nor the last. We, yeah. Mister <laughs> Jaworski.
1: Well, I'm actually very excited about that.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, me. T- frankly, me too. I, the whole <laughs> series could be Mister Jaworski's class, and that would be really probably even more exciting to me than what the book actually is. There's no drama quite like the Drama Club so uh, (laughs) it is you can't take it with you by the way oh okay
1: okay um I guess I wasn't paying that close of attention but I knew (laughs)
0: well I I knew did you just read the book a few hours ago because I finished the book just
1: a few hours ago I started it when you told Uh, me you wanted me to read this book like months ago oh
0: okay well this (laughs) that was like a chapter one detail so that might be (laughs) that might be why you didn't remember Um, so we're at the party okay we're at the party and eventually like bruce keeps on kind of disappearing and elizabeth keeps on seeing bruce talking with and even like caressing and like kissing danielle so elizabeth was right danielle is the other date but we don't know what he's up to he's doing a whole like mrs doubtfire except way less funny and way less complicated (laughs) like he just is like Cavorts with Danielle when Julie can't see and then goes and and spends some more time with Julie. But Danielle seems to be in on it
1: too. Like they're like laughing and giggling to themselves, and she seems to know that there's something up. Um.
0: But Bruce takes Julie to the dark alcove and they like settle in and like make out corner, and she's even a little bit like awkward, like, oh, I'm kind of tilted, and he like pulls her closer, and it's like, then then they are going to talk. He's like, tell me about yourself, you know? And so Julie talks for a long time. And then Bruce goes to change the CD. He's like, I'll be right back, you know? And he puts on, what is it? The spring? No, the summer wind consort. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nothing, uh, says, <laughs> nothing says a hopping high school party. <laughs> yeah. It's like a jazz classical fusion band. And Elizabeth notices the music and she's like, I wonder who at this party would be classy enough to put on this music. But, uh, so Julie is waiting and it's so dark. It's like very, very dark back in this alcove. And so I will read the pivotal moment here. When she opened her eyes, she could see him approaching her in the darkness in one swift, passionate movement. He swooped down onto the couch and enfolded her in his arms. And as he touched his lips to hers, whatever lingering doubts she had about him melted away. Julie wanted to hold on to the moment forever, memorize every tiny sensation, every slow, tender movement in their kiss. And then, without warning, she felt a stinging sensation in her eyes. Some fool had turned the lights on, spoiling the special moment. Julie pulled away, suddenly self-conscious again. She opened her eyes, shielding them with her hand. What she saw made her body rigid with shock. She was staring right at Josh. Together, they sprang off the couch. "'Josh!' she managed to cry out. "'What are you doing here?' "'Julie,' he answered. "'I—who—this is—' Julie was completely flabbergasted, and she couldn't stop her next words from babbling out. "'You're supposed to be Bruce! I mean, Bruce was—what did you do? How dare you!' Josh waved his arms defensively. "'I thought you were—oh, this is unbelievable!' Slowly, a wave of titters began to spread. Everyone in the alcove was staring at them. Near the entrance to the main room, a group of people had gathered to see what was going on. Some were laughing out loud, while others covered their mouths to stifle their giggles. Julie was frozen with shock and embarrassment. Looking around, she realized the whole thing had been a horrible, cruel setup.
1: Oh, Julie. She's
0: been revenge of the nerds. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, and it's like, except for one that she thinks that she's been revenge of the nerds is what she thinks. But Josh has also been duped, but she doesn't know that she thinks like Josh would do anything to, for she's seen Josh do terrible things for this pledge. He must have known all along he was in on this cruel prank and he knew that he, I was he knew how I felt about Bruce, and he, he knew he knew. but Josh actually didn't know, and we find out in the next chapter that it, Josh was had been told that there was some kind of like best kisser competition or something.
1: Yeah, and I think that I, I, I'm not sure, but I think that's how Danielle got pulled in. I think that Bruce might have recruited her to be the person uh, that all of the pledges kissed. I don't know. This is why I'm filling in the blanks. Uh, it
0: was a little bit hard to understand what the pledges thought the plan was or what Josh thought was going on. But he definitely didn't think he was going to be kissing Julie. His old
1: high school or his yeah. old, you know, best friend from childhood. Yeah. It right. surprised him who, as much. And, and I, I guess, guess it
0: even more importantly, like who, who wasn't in on it? He didn't think he was going to be kissing anyone who wasn't in on it. Yeah. And he didn't think that he was. He certainly didn't think that Julie was gonna think that he was Bruce. You know, he didn't. He didn't. Nobody. It was really kind of. It's really gross, actually. <laughs> I mean, it, I was. I was so caught up in how embarrassing it would be that I haven't stopped to think about how fucked up it is. Well, I mean,
1: uh, even after that, like, yes, super fucked up. But then he continues to let them do fucked up stuff to him that includes kissing girls who don't want to be kissed.
0: Yeah, that was really... I have read this book before, and it wasn't all that long ago. I read this book. I was looking at Goodreads. I logged it. I read it in March of 2016. But I had forgotten that later on in this same week, because somehow this frat party is not the end of the... It's not the pinnacle of the hazing period. It's yeah. just like the midpoint. <laughs> there, Julie sees... It's like the boys are dancing around like, like performing monkeys or something and like jumping up and kissing all the girls that are watching. And Julie somehow is like walking by and gets kissed by Josh, who doesn't realize that he's kissing her. It, it It's very hard to picture how. And then he feels even more terrible because he's let way too much time. I mean, he should have rushed out of the party and cleared things up right away. But instead, it's like the party's on a Friday. We turn the page from that passage I just read, practically, and it's Monday, mm-hmm. you know, like the next time we hear from Julie, I guess I should say, it's not literally the next page, but the next time we hear from Julie, it's Monday, and Josh hasn't cleared up anything, and she's pretending like she's cool with it, and she's forgotten all about it, but really, I'm sure she's crying about it all weekend.
1: Yeah, and and he even thought about it as she left. He saw Elizabeth and Julie leave the party, and he saw that Elizabeth was taking her boyfriend's car to go drive julie home and he's like maybe i shouldn't ruin my friendship with my friend oh but she's not going to talk to me again anyway so i should probably just stay here and continue to take like this take crap from bruce patman uh his reasoning being i've already gotten this far it can't get much worse than this
0: Yeah, there's even that big scene where Winston is talking to Josh, this is at the party afterwards, because Winston is in Phi Epsilon. And he just hates what just happened. Like, he's really upset about what just happened. And he tells, he tells Josh that maybe it's not worth it. You know, (laughs) like, the, the, the fraternity used to be cool. But now, I don't know, These, Bruce seems like he has a lot of clout and everybody's trying to please him. And this isn't really fun anymore. So I don't know if it's really worth it to you. Josh seems to have this hang up with his older brother, Phil.
1: Because like, if Phil liked it, then I must not be looking at it the right yeah. way. You know, yeah.
0: it's kind of, <sighs> It's kind of like he thinks that if he can get into the fraternity, he can fix it and make it what it used to be that's uh, i appreciate josh for being an idealist in that way (laughs) yeah yeah i do but um it is pretty messed up um but we're we you know julie continues to be angry but josh josh is finally able to talk to elizabeth about it and elizabeth tries to intervene on his behalf um but yeah they talk about it a lot You know, and
1: he and I guess, you know, he's a 17 year old boy still trying to understand his own emotions. And he actually talks about that whenever he thinks about Julie. You know, he can tell that his feelings for her have changed, but he's not sure how. Was it the kiss that did it? Because it was a really good description of the kiss. Like, you know, did Bruce actually do him a favor
0: um, yeah. know but part of him is move. also worried that the damage is already done with Julie, and like he might as well keep. He's always doing this back and forth. Like he I, and I get like the idea of the like sweat equity. Like he's put in so much work already to this thing. Um, it's that sunk cost fallacy, right? It's like I've already gone through so much humiliation. I can't give up now because yeah. then it will all have been for nothing. Yeah. Uh, but that's never been less uh, Not, true than yeah. in this case. Well, I mean,
1: I, like at this point, Julie has the best the, the best point, you know, that you're willing to go through all of this. And you can see that they're pulling me in to your bullshit. And yet you're still concerned about making it into this bullshit brotherhood.
0: Like right so obviously more, you care more, more about the fraternity than me. Yeah. Yeah. So So the last big thing that happens is pretty is pretty great. And I think that this book would make just a really great romantic comedy. <laughs> like a like a Agreed. high school romantic comedy. The whole the whole thing, it you just know. You have... kissing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But What's happening is, at this point in time, Josh is, like, trying to go incognito whenever he's anywhere near his frat brothers, so they don't pull him into whatever bullshit they've got going on. Everybody's in the cafeteria, and the pledges, it becomes clear that what the pledges are being asked to do is to pretend like they're waiters. To go around and ask people if they want to, if they want to select one of these drink options or like clear people's plates and just kind of generally make an ass of themselves uh, in this sort of benign but goony way and and because Josh really he knows that Julie's there he just doesn't want to be seen doing more dumb stuff for the frat in front of julie he tries to hide but of course that gets him in more trouble because then bruce calls him out and bruce really has it in for josh for some reason maybe it's because of what john pfeiffer said that uh bruce sees the nice version of himself in josh
1: yeah
0: but um what happens is that bruce tells josh that what he has to do he uh sees that like because he was hanging out with Elizabeth.
1: Josh was trying to reason with Elizabeth about like, hey, what did Julie say? You know, he's trying to use Elizabeth as that conduit of like, can you be the bridge to me and my old friend again? And but you can't you can't let the other brothers in Phi Epsilon know that I'm talking to you right now because they're going to make me do what these other kids are doing and I just want to talk to you. Bruce sees him, finds out and he's like, "Oh, well since you want to go and talk to ladies, I'm going to just happen to look around the the um cafeteria and find a lady who's not talking to anyone uh and have you be cruel to her uh oh look here's julie porter so oh right
0: and and josh <laughs> refuses and bruce basically says if you don't do this like i like if you don't do what i say you're out and like i'm not going to forget that you sp- spoke back to me or whatever yeah and
1: and he makes so them Josh, buy three dollars worth of jello.
0: <laughs> yeah. So he's supposed to buy all the different kinds of jello. And um I don't know what he, the he goes, I don't know what is
1: <laughs> Bruce is. Put it all in a big bowl. Bruce is hard to read.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's supposed to go serve it to Julie. Um in a big pile. Uh so Josh goes to get the jello. He showed her the six empty bowls. Sorry, he's, he's showing the cashier the six empty bowls of Jello, which are all. I, I gotta just read it. He took six bowls of all the different flavored Jello: cherry, lime, orange, lemon, and two with mixed fruit in them. He dumped all the bowls onto the plate, making a huge mountain of Jello. Hey, the cashier called out, "What do you think you're doing?" Don't worry, Josh said with a reassuring smile. "I'm paying for it all." He showed her the six empty bowls, gave her three dollars, and picked up the plate. Just love that jello, he added cheerily. The heaping multicolored mass jiggled crazily as Josh stepped back into the eating area, and a roar of laughter erupted from the Phi Epsilon table. Then, curious about the sudden noise, other people in the cafeteria turned to look at Josh. Before long, just about everyone there was staring at him Jessica, Lila, Elizabeth, and Julie. When Josh's eyes darted over to Julie's corner, she immediately looked down, but not soon enough for Josh to miss the hurt and confusion in her eyes. Josh walked slowly toward her with the plate. The jello moved as if it were alive. Whoops and cheers rang out from the fraternity table. What a guy, Bruce yelled out, red in the face with laughter. She'll love you for this, Bowen. But when Josh was halfway there, he stopped. Then, without warning, he took a sharp right and picked up his pace, heading right for the fraternity table. With a mushy-sounding splat, Josh dumped the entire plate of jello right into Bruce Patman's lap. Bruce shot up in his seat in shock, sending Jell-O flying in all directions. Ah, my new pants! <laughs> so, <laughs> Bruce gets a lap full of jello Not quite the comeuppance he deserves. But oh, start. he did
1: deserve more. Yeah, he did make Josh do like fifty-five push-ups after school. Um, it was he was oh, yeah. he did deserve more than a lap full of jello in what I imagine were pleated khakis. Um we uh, call like, them chinos on Sweet Valley High. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he did definitely deserve more than that. But was the was was he intending for Josh to just? Deliver a whole bunch of jello to Julie, and or was it was he going to yeah. dump it on Julie? The way he I don't think it he on... was
0: supposed to dump it on Julie. I think he was supposed to just give it to Julie, and then everybody would be looking at Julie and laughing. And I don't know. I don't know. Julie that just sounds like free jello. It's really lame. It's really lame. It's like Bruce is the worst at being mean. I, this is the meanest. Yeah. Well, maybe Bruce <laughs> thinks Jello is like de class like poor people food. Commoners dessert. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. But I do know that after this, Julie and Josh are live happily ever after, and Danielle. They have some real talk. Bruce he pulls too. her aside.
1: He pulls her aside, and he's like, "They they have real talk about like." themselves uh as as people and as as people in a relationship with each other so that that was uh
0: yeah and they realized that they had both kind of been pining for each other and that was part of what why this whole situation hurt so much and they clear the air and now they're they can be together and like the the music swells and the (laughs) and then their fists in the air something like that
1: actually uh josh does fist pump at jessica's play at which he uh julia's his date
0: um he does actually
1: raise his fist in the air (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah jessica kills it in the play everybody thinks she's great and i mean that's pretty much it that's the whole story uh yeah and uh i um actually highlighted the
1: last uh (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they highlighted the last scene because how of the way they shine a spotlight on Mr. Jaworski uh, and the, everyone's going to Casey's which is the ice cream place in the very beginning where Josh was first th- where Josh first threw up from too much ice cream and mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Jaworski Uh, politely declines uh, even though there's there is no high greater than going to the same restaurant after your high school play it's and everybody's there ordering stuff and being you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) outside of character but Mr. Jaworski uh, declines and says uh, I made the mistake of ordering a diet breaker the last time I was there and I haven't had the courage to go back since I know what you mean, Josh (laughs) said, as Elizabeth and Julie broke into laughter. And I just really love that everything comes to a nice little... Circle like a nice clothes it's all, it all comes back to eaters, the diet <laughs>
0: breaker is the thing that Josh was eating when he got too sick and couldn't go on uh, do you think they uh, might like to know what the diet breaker is because I do have that marked yeah actually and,
1: in and case you we want to create it, a diet breaker then, at home then, you know what that's not a bad
0: idea <laughs> okay um all right uh the Josh next dessert had was a to
1: huge eat uh, several of these I, I think he actually had well he
0: had to eat four. a bunch of different things that were all described like a hot fudge sundae and something called a casey's concoction which i think is a lot like a like a oh the um, casey's concoction is described too as being let's go like a banana split kind of gotcha sorry i won't interrupt anymore please tell us more about the diet breaker <laughs> a huge glass filled with pistachio ice cream that had been mixed with several kinds of candy and nuts four chocolate chip cookies stuck out of the sides and topping the whole thing were crushed pineapple butterscotch sauce and an inch or two of whipped cream Casey called this one his diet breaker that actually sounds disgusting. <laughs> it's a lot of flavors happening. I'd be willing to, to try it, I guess. But I wouldn't want to eat four chocolate chip cookies on off of my ice cream dessert, but whatever.
1: I would rather uh. just have four chocolate chip cookies, period, mm. instead of with pineapple and caramel and all of the things. it's It's a... It's a bit too much, <laughs> even
0: I suppose you could say that it is. I'm in danger of losing my head. Having talked too. about well, we've talked a lot about boys in the course of this book because this is a very boy heavy book. There's not a ton of like talking about how sexy the boys are, because mostly they're being shits in this book. Um, One boy that I was straining to remember was Ronnie Edwards. He gets mentioned a lot in this book. And I think it's because they needed someone that they could taint um, by having him be kind of like Bruce's flunky. And we can't have Rick Andover again. He doesn't really seem like the fraternity type anyway. And like, we don't want to think too ill of poor Winston, Tom McKay, John Pfeiffer. So they bring back Ronnie Edwards, who I was really struggling to think, who is he? Like, have we heard of him? And it's all the way back in book two, Enid is dating Ronnie Edwards, and he's the guy who um, gets really upset when he finds out about her past with George Warren, and he he is a dick, uh, but in a weird way. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, he doesn't want her to be a once fast girl because she's not being fast with him. And he has some kind of mommy issues too, as I recall from that book. But anyway, Ronnie Edwards, not a dreamboat, but
1: just as arrogant as Bruce. Uh, Yes. That's the, that's the only description we have of Ronnie. Um, I, I recollect um, the name Winston Egbert. I, I can't recall Winston's, um, role in earlier uh oh yeah winston
0: is a winston is a very regular player he's the class clown he's like tall and gangly he's uh got glasses he's he's like a good time guy well
1: and he is also a phi epsilon brother uh and you'd think that he would be better at you know creating the goofy things that the the boys had to do but being a class clown and whatever i rem- i think that winston was in the sweet valley tv show and he was portrayed as more nerdy Surely. i guess as like oh gross. no he's he definitely nasty. a
0: nerd i mean r- this book in isolation winston doesn't come off as a nerd but he he i mean i don't know it's hard to just classify him as a nerd because he's he's popular in a way but he's like he's studious He's a goofball, but he's like nerdy looking.
1: Okay. Uh, If you don't give me the description within the book, and I don't have the books, the other books to like refer back to, the only ones that do stand out are the ones that Francine takes a lot of time to explain to you just how good looking they are. Uh, And definitely Bruce is always always stands out with his, his dark hair and his green eyes, um, and not to mention that he's filthy rich. Uh, we just come back to like adding to his attractiveness is that he lives in a mansion and he drives a porsche. Uh, and um, I, don't, I don't know if I don't even remember them describing Josh. Uh, well,
0: they describe him as having a similar height and build to Bruce which is an important little detail because that is it makes it more believable that Julie would see him walking toward her in the dark and think he was Bruce.
1: Oh. And that would make sense as to why Bruce is sort of projecting seeing
0: him yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, it's we didn't actually together. we didn't actually talk about the cover of the of Yeah, the, it's the
0: perfect time to talk about the cover.
1: where you can actually see all three of these characters.
0: A little short girl with red hair looking up at a cocky looking fellow, and then a- another fellow standing behind her looking angrily at that same cocky fellow. Gladiators, maybe we should move the cover descriptions to the end of the <laughs> episode so that we already have the context of the characters and their relationship by the time. Uh, I don't know. Some of the,
1: it. It's my fault for just skipping over that part because I feel like. It gives. I mean, especially when I was a kid, looking through all of these books, and I would judge the book by its cover. Like, do I want to to understand this relationship between this redhead gazing longingly up at Bruce Patman, and and this angry uh, angry fellow also staring at Bruce Patman with a with a cocky little cocky his eyebrow yeah. up and a little sideways smile there.
0: I mean. Of these two guys, I think the one in the back in this gorgeous teal V-neck sweater over a dark, like, hunter green button-up is much more attractive looking than this guy in the front. So clearly that's supposed to be Josh. He looks a lot like Chris O'Donnell, I think. He does. Glad if that helps you picture him. But the thing that is... Most notable about this cover is that what it says underneath the picture is "Has Julie Porter fallen for the wrong guy?" And I want to say, like, "Has James Matthews drawn the wrong guy?" Because this guy is not Bruce Batman. We know what Bruce Batman looks like from other book covers, and this is not his face. Yeah, he kind of looks that like a not not boy. His <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a Hardy boy. Bruce Batman looks like a Ken doll. He looks like a Ken doll from like one of those surfer beach Ken. That's that's Bruce Batman, but,
1: but with dark hair. But like it's like just a. I'll
0: put a picture, a comparison on my Instagram, everybody at Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram. But this is not Bruce Batman. This is, I mean, maybe this is what grief has done to Bruce Batman. <laughs> but He looks He's physically changed due to his grief. <laughs> He's got amazing eyebrows, though. This guy has real evil, evil guy eyebrows. He's he's wearing that smug
1: look like he created it. I, yeah, uh, will and you know
0: say. we talk a lot, we we complain a lot on this podcast about how the cover models look like they're um, old adults, but these kids at least resemble teenagers, especially Julie, who looks like a tiny baby <laughs> next to these <laughs> to these guys. She looks like a little a little kid, like. She looks maybe like 12 as opposed to being looking 16.
1: Yeah. She's giving me some major Molly Ringwald vibes with that hairdo. Um, yeah,
0: there we go. So we got Chris, we got Molly, and then some other guy who's not Bruce Patman.
1: <laughs> I'm sure we'll, we've got Chris, Molly, and a random Hardy boy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Marissa, do you feel, having now read this second Porter girls book that you are a Jessica or an Elizabeth
1: I or still, someone else. I still feel very Jessica. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, uh, I wouldn't have had the same struggle with a comedic character as she did. uh As long as I was the center of attention. And uh, <laughs> I feel like Elizabeth helped remind her of that fact that like, Hey, even though, you're not a good dancer or, and you're not a romantic lead and you're not a good reader. Apparently.
0: Uh, <laughs> right. Cause she keeps on, she has every opportunity to read the play and know if she had read it, she would know for herself what the part was like. Uh, but she doesn't, she's too busy practicing, getting to be a good dancer,
1: but true to uh, Jessica form and as called by her sister, Elizabeth in the first, uh, In the first chapter, you know, wouldn't it be so Jessica if she didn't read the play and still got the part? And that is exactly what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I enjoy Jessica for being Jessica. And I still sort of align in that in that space as that, you know, randomly seeing some other girl in a dressing room and thinking that she's some kind of competition just because she. You know, is good at something and uh, is also beautiful. I, I can, I can relate to that sudden sense of, uh, hey, this is a competition now, and hey, I have to shine my best even in the dressing room. You know, <laughs> so um, I think that high school Marissa is very much a Jessica, and uh, I still feel, I still feel aligned with her. <laughs>
0: I think that's nice. See, that it's like a personality test, you know, you like things about your life might change, but your core <laughs> assessment remains the same throughout your life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this episode is running a little bit long, but we did promise the gladiators that we were going to revisit the question of who is the troublemaker?
1: Who is the troublemaker? Really, you know, I, I mean, ultimately it's Bruce, you know, because. Because of the way that he just relentlessly yeah. um, hazes his his soon to be brothers, um, and and feels like he has the right to. Uh, but at the same time, we we could argue that there, are, like you know, Elizabeth with her meddling can be made a troublemaker, and Josh with his uh, unwillingness to stand up for himself and create chaos.
0: Uh, and really every boy, I mean, if we had wanted to, and hadn't been so excited about talking to the plot, we probably could have spent a lot of time in this episode just talking about, like, how disgusting it was to watch these boys put themselves through this dumb macho bullshit for no reason, and uh, at other people's expense, and at each other's expense. It was ridiculous, and it just makes you shake your head, like, why? Why? Like, Why? why? Yeah. <laughs> why does this happen? Why do fraternities have hazing? Why do you want to be a part of a club that makes you torture yourself to join? Well, well I Josh those I questions
1: all throughout yeah. the book. And I, his only answer is, well, Phil liked it. My big brother liked it. And it can't be yeah. all that bad then because Phil is a god to me.
0: So and like don't get me wrong i can think of answers to those questions but the answers are not satisfying to me like i but i'm the kind of person like i don't even like pranks like i don't like pranks because i don't think that it is funny to be mean to someone that you care about and if you don't care about the person then it is literally just being mean so but so many so often pranks are something that are like played on loved ones because it's like funny to embarrass them and i don't get that But that's I realize that's very poor humored of me. But what can I say? Well, Marissa, let's talk more next week. Um, Probably not about this book. We're gonna let's be real. We're gonna talk about driving me crazy.
1: I can't wait.
0: (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for being my guest again on Sweet Valley Diaries. It was wonderful to have you. Truly my pleasure. And I don't know when the porters come up again, but we might have to broaden your scope. We'll see. I'll have to look at the upcoming books so that I can have you back before before too long. There are no other porter siblings, so I'll take another Amy girls... Sutton book
1: if we if we. Oh my god, we've uh, lost uh, touch with Amy Sutton. We did t- we did see her a little bit in this book. Oof.
0: We are going to get a lot of Amy Sutton next week, which actually reminds me, would you mind teasing the gladiators for uh, the next book, book number 48, by reading the last sentence yes. in the book? Yes. The bold italicized sentence?
1: Let me get over there. Well,
0: while Marissa is finding that, allow me to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Um, you can follow Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram at Sweet Valley Diaries or on Twitter at Sweet Valley, where I am trying to tweet more often. And that's fun. And it'll be more fun if people like participate. Um, thank you to everyone for the kind words that um, you have sent me recently about like helping you get through quarantine and stuff. You know, This is a podcast I just do like for fun. <laughs> I, I don't get paid to do it i haven't yet devised a plan to ask to be paid to do it and so the payment that i get right now is like knowing that people are enjoying listening to it so tell a friend if you think they'd like it uh what do you say marissa are you ready to tease
1: yes find out what the excitement is all about in sweet valley high number 48 slam book fever oh my gosh
0: slam book fever y'all Dude,
1: there's going to be some, like, mean girls, you know, action happening. I actually cannot wait to hear all of that. (laughs) Awful. So does that make me miss America? Bye, gladiators. Thanks for having me.